Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Palma, Teresa Watson is away at a conference. In the top story tonight, I will tell you about a legal challenge to the way the FDA approved chemical abortion pills in 2000. A federal judge in Texas could hold the future of abortion in his hands. In political news in a nutshell, I'll talk about Joe Biden's State of the Union address and what he had to say about abortion. In abortion in the news, I'll, I'll give you some good news about late-term abortion in New Mexico. Attorney Martin Cannon will join me to talk about a judge's surprise quest to find a right to abortion in the 13th Amendment. And you want to stay to the end to see pro-life activist Mark Houck's return to the sidewalks outside of Philadelphia Planned Parenthood following his acquittal last month on federal charges. A ruling from a federal judge in Texas could end the sale of mifepristone, the first drug women take to end their pregnancies through chemical abortion. In December 2022, a lawsuit was filed by the pro-life law firm Alliance Defending Freedom, which is representing four pro-life medical groups and four physicians. The suit challenges the way the Federal Food and Drug Administration approved mifepristone as an abortifacient in the year 2000. The suit alleges that the FDA was under pressure from then-President Bill Clinton to approve the drug, and it did so while overlooking intense side effects. The case was filed in Amarillo, Texas, and assigned to U.S. District Court Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, who was nominated by former President Donald Trump. If the judge rules in favor of the plaintiffs, mifepristone would be taken off the market in states where abortion is still legal. States that have banned abortion also have outlawed chemical abortion, so mifepristone is not currently available for sale in those states, though women have been able to access it by mail. That, too, would come to a halt with a favorable ruling from the judge. An expected appeal would go to the conservative-leaning Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which has abortion advocates in a panic. The case could and likely would end up in the United States Supreme Court, whose justices were hoping their June decision overturning Roe v. Wade would safeguard the court from having to rule on any more abortion cases. Chemical abortion makes up more than 50% of abortions in the U.S., and the number is growing. A woman takes the first pill, mifepristone, to kill the baby in her womb by starving him or her of progesterone, which prepares the lining of the womb for the embryo to be implanted. A second drug, misoprostol, is taken 24 hours later and it causes contractions that expel the dead baby from a mother's womb. Misoprostol is not included in the lawsuit in Texas. In some parts of the world, misoprostol is used alone to end a pregnancy, though the FDA has not approved it for solo use in the U.S. But abortion sellers like Planned Parenthood are already making plans for misoprostol-only abortions if the ruling in Texas halts the sale of mifepristone. Pro-life observers say it seems clear these abortion profiteers are more interested in selling abortion than safeguarding women. Chemical abortion is much more dangerous for women than surgical abortion. Research from the Charlotte Lozier Institute has found that chemical abortion has a complication rate four times that of surgical abortion, and that emergency room visits increased 500% between 2002 and 2015 for women who took the abortion pills. A 19-year-old in Canada died last year after a chemical abortion. The ruling in the Texas case is expected any day. Joe Biden's State of the Union address Tuesday night brought Democrats to their feet when he vowed to veto any national ban on abortion that made it to his desk. Let's listen to his 42-second segment of his 72-minute speech. Here in the people's house, it's our duty to protect all the people's rights and freedoms. Congress must restore the right and the... Congress must restore the right that was taken away 
and Roe v. Wade, and protect Roe v. Wade. Give every woman a constant right. The Vice President and I are doing everything to protect access to reproductive health care and safeguard patient safety. While already more than a dozen states are enforcing extreme abortion bans. Make no mistake about it. If Congress passes a national ban, I will veto it. There was nothing new in his statement, and he understands there is little he can do to expand access to abortion. But it is worth noting that he spoke of protecting all the people's rights and freedoms while overlooking the rights of the human beings in the first nine months of their lives. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders gave the Republicans rebuttal to Biden's speech, and while she did not address the abortion issue, she described the Biden administration as having been completely hijacked by the radical left. Let's watch. Whether Joe Biden believes this madness or is simply too weak to resist it, his administration has been completely hijacked by the radical left. The dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. Several members of Congress wore buttons on their lapels to highlight their favorite causes. Two Democrats, Senator Edward Markey of Massachusetts and Representative Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania, wore buttons that simply read abortion. A new poll from the Associated Press and the National Opinion Research Center has revealed that a majority of Democrats think Biden should be a one-term president. Just 37% of respondents want him to seek a second term, down from 52% just before last year's midterm elections. Many believe Biden, who is now 80, is too old to meet the challenges of the most stressful job in the world. But Biden seems intent upon running, and the primaries have even been rigged in his favor. The Democratic National Committee last week voted to revise the primary calendar to put South Carolina first, followed by New Hampshire, Nevada, Georgia, and Michigan. Black voters in South Carolina and Georgia make up a large core of Biden supporters, and Michigan is another state he won in 2020. He only came in fifth in the New Hampshire primary, which is always the first primary in the nation, and fourth in the Iowa caucuses, which have been the first presidential nominating events since 1972. On the other side of the political aisle, former UN Ambassador and South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley next week is expected to announce her bid for the Republican presidential nomination. Haley is pro-life and last month called on Congress to vote to support the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. The bill passed the House the next day with just one Democrat voting in favor. The Senate bill, introduced January 25th, has not come up for a vote. In 2012, as governor, she signed a statewide Born Alive bill and described why she is pro-life. I'm not pro-life because I'm Republican, and I think it's important that people know that, she said. I'm pro-life because I had trouble having both my children, and I'm blessed every day to see their faces. I am pro-life because my husband was adopted, and I am blessed because his life was saved. That's why I believe what I believe. As the United States Ambassador to the United Nations, appointed by President Trump, Haley was unabashedly pro-life. When she took over the post, Marie Smith, director of the Parliamentary Network for Critical Issues, an organization under the Priests for Life umbrella, reported that with Haley as ambassador, the U.S. took a giant pro-life step at the U.N. On Tuesday, Republican members of the House of Representatives stood one by one for 43 minutes to recite the United States Constitution, fulfilling a promise by Speaker Kevin McCarthy to demonstrate that the House is under new management after four years with Nancy Pelosi at the helm. Pennsylvania Republicans appear less likely to be able to pass abortion restrictions after Democrats won three special elections in the western part of the state. 
The GOP had hoped to put an amendment on the ballot declaring that there is no right to abortion in the state constitution, but with Democrats outnumbering Republicans 102 to 101 in the House, that seems unlikely to happen. Republicans control the Senate in Pennsylvania, and the new governor, a Democrat, Josh Shapiro, was inaugurated last month, so it's very much a state divided. And that's political news in a nutshell. Pro-life attorney Mike Seibel, founder of the New Mexico-based Abortion on Trial, told Pro-Life Primetime News this week that notorious abortionist Curtis Boyd is no longer performing third trimester abortions at Southwestern Women's Options in Albuquerque. An advertisement on the abortion business's website said abortions are performed there up to 23 weeks, six days. Previously, the site advertised abortions to 32 weeks and later, depending on circumstances. Seibel noted that, that Boyd's stable of abortionists has thinned considerably. Boyd is 85 years old, Carmen Landau has died, Shelley Sella retired, and Shannon Carr, who performed an incomplete abortion on 24-year-old Keisha Atkins that contributed to her death in 2017, has stopped doing abortions. Seibel received a $1.26 million settlement from Southwestern and the University of New Mexico in a wrongful death suit he filed on behalf of Keisha's family. During a series of undercover phone calls to abortion businesses carried out by Priests for Life and Abortion Free New Mexico in 2017, Tara Shaver, pretending to be 30 weeks pregnant, was able to schedule an abortion at Southwestern on what she said was a healthy baby she could no longer afford. Shaver was assured Medicaid would pay for the procedure. Mark Cavalier of the Southwest Coalition for Life said praise be to God for this answer to prayer about the end of third trimester abortions in New Mexico, but said the lack of any restrictions on abortion in the state could prompt other abortionists to step in to offer the multi-day procedure. Diane Durzis, whose pink house abortion business in Mississippi was at the center of the case that led to Roe being overturned, has opened Pink House West in Las Cruces and could decide to abort unborn babies way past viability. A Washington state pro-life group has been ordered to pay nearly $1 million to Planned Parenthood in Spokane. The church at Planned Parenthood, which says it was organized to offer worship services at the gates of hell, last week was ordered to pay $110,000 in damages to the abortion business after a judge ruled that the group interfered with patient care. The church must pay another $850,000 to cover Planned Parenthood's attorney's fees. The suit began in 2020 and it has involved multiple law firms. The group's pastor, Ken Peters, said he would move future protests across the street from the abortion facility. As they wait for a court to hear an appeal of an order blocking the state's fetal heartbeat law, some Republican lawmakers and pro-life leaders in Iowa are beginning to push for a life at conception bill. Maggie DeWitt of the Coalition of Pro-Life Leaders said even if they win the appeal on heartbeat, we're not going to stop until we've eliminated abortion, which means a life at conception bill. A bill to ban chemical abortion already has been introduced. Abortion is currently legal until 20 weeks in Iowa. The South Carolina Supreme Court on Wednesday denied State Attorney General Alan Wilson's petition to reconsider its ruling handed down earlier this year that found the state's heartbeat bill unconstitutional. A statement released by Wilson's office said, as we've said previously, we respectfully disagree with the court's decision. This issue is now in the legislature's hands. Texas is suing the Biden administration over a Department of Health and Human Services rule requiring pharmacies to fill prescriptions for abortion pills. In July, HHS sent letters to 60,000 pharmacies across the country to remind them that it would be a violation of federal law to refuse to supply abortion pills to women with valid prescriptions. But in the lawsuit, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade shows that states can implement their own laws when it comes to governing abortion and that the federal government does not have any right to intervene. 
abortion, including chemical abortion, is now illegal in Texas. Yelp said its decision to label pregnancy resource centers on its site as crisis pregnancy centers that do not perform abortion was not politically motivated, says the, the company. This, the statement responded to a letter from 24 attorneys general that accused the company of discriminating against the centers, Axios reported. While some people come to Yelp to find businesses that offer pregnancy resources, there are others who turn to Yelp to find reliable information about abortion provider, said the letter from Yelp general counsel, Aaron Schur. And that's abortion in the news. The 13th Amendment was ratified in 1865 to abolish slavery in the U.S. It states, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Now a federal judge hearing a case against pro-life activists in Washington, D.C., has suggested that a right to abortion might be contained in the amendment. Attorney Martin Cannon is representing one of 10 defendants in the case being heard by U.S. District Court Judge Colleen Kolar-Cotelli. And he's joining us today from Carson, Iowa, to talk about this new post-row tactic. Well, welcome, Martin. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. So please set the stage for us. What is this case all about? Well, the case involves a group of 10 people who staged really what amounts to a sit-in at a local abortion clinic in Washington, D.C. Interestingly, one that uh, arguably pro provides not only abortions, but illegal abortions. Uh, in any event, the sit-ins are nonviolent. They are very, very much like the sit-ins for which we give Martin Luther King a federal holiday. Our people get federal charges instead. But uh, in any event, that's what the case is about. The events and the charge arose prior to the Dobbs decision. Since the Dobbs decision, uh, just a week or so ago, uh, I filed a motion to dismiss the case based on the idea that federal laws have to have a uh, a, a basis for federal jurisdiction in order to do what normally would be done by a state. Uh, and under Dobbs, since there is no longer a right to, con to abortion in the federal constitution, my position is that this the federal government has no further interest in the matter and cannot be prosecuting what should be state charges. And uh, it, when we filed that motion the other day, the judge, who's a thoughtful, thoughtful judge, um, uh, entered an order unsolicited saying the 13th Amendment argument is something we need to address. So I'm going to extend the briefing deadlines and eliminate page limitations on the briefs. And uh, we're going to give you, uh, and she ordered all parties to brief the question, not just on the 13th Amendment, but but also on whether the Dobbs case actually was limited to the 14th Amendment, and secondly, whether, whether there might be other constitutional bases for abortion besides the 14th Amendment. So she's kind of throwing out some ideas there. She's wanting feedback, and it's, it's actually a good thing. People in the pro-life community are, are recoiling at the idea, but a thorough judge should want outstanding issues addressed if they have any traction already in the conversation. And there has been some talk about the 13th Amendment. I don't think the questions are hard, but but it's out there. So we are very happy to address those for the court. Oh, so this, well, it came a little bit out of left field, I guess. A little bit. <laughs> but you say that there has been discussion of the 13th Amendment. That I didn't know. 
Well, so she, have... she referred to a couple of things. She referred to another federal court case out of the Tenth Circuit that talks about uh, the 13th Amendment uh, in, in the context of abortion. And she also referred to some some articles by a, a fellow at a at a law school uh, who says that the uh, that abortion violates the 13th Amendment because it is involuntary servitude. The, the 13th Amendment uh, prohibited not just slavery specifically, but involuntary servitude. Uh, and he says that a pregnancy and a woman who would rather not be pregnant constitutes just that involuntary servitude. So now what's what's your assignment? What are what are you up to? Well, what we need to do is address that question. And you know, we've got a lot of work to do in order to put the brief together by the time she's allotted. Uh, so I don't wanna be out here trying to provide answers right now to questions we will, will not have thoroughly answered for the court for several more weeks. No, I understand. But, but I would say this, um, uh, I think the gentleman who says that abortion uh, is protected by the 13th Amendment makes two very big mistakes. Uh, uh, first of all, it ignores the favorite slogan of the pro-choice people, my body, my choice. Uh, it, it, that slogan, obviously we've all heard it, but it doesn't seem to contain any insistence that a woman exercises that autonomy at a place where she can do so without killing a child. Pregnancy from consensual sexual activity is not involuntary. I think that's huge. You never, ever hear about the woman's exercise of her choices when she can do it properly. Uh, the, the second thing that, that I think he misses is that he talks, when, when he talks about involuntary servitude, he talks in terms of one person's uh, unjustified imposition and control over the body of another. And I don't see how there could be any better argument that the 13th Amendment not only doesn't protect abortion, but that it actually prohibits it. Look at these dead babies. Yeah. Tell me that's not insulted, the improper, unjust dominion over the body of another. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you said that she got rid of the deadline for you filing these briefs? Well, she she extended them. No, we oh, definitely okay. have deadlines. But when I filed the motion to dismiss, uh, she set certain deadlines, or actually they're kind of baked in the cake on the scheduling orders and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. When, but, but in response to our motion and the fact that the other nine lawyers or so, just about all of them joined in the motion, she then issued an order that nobody had asked for, uh, extending the deadlines, basically saying, I want this stuff addressed. None of you contemplated it probably. So I'm giving you more time. And so how, how much time do you have? A couple of more weeks. And well, I should say the, the, the Department of Justice has maybe two more, two additional weeks from when they were originally going to have to re respond to our motion. And then we'll have a couple of more weeks after that to reply. So so uh, I don't have the dates in front of me, but, but by uh, uh, middle of March or so, we should all be done briefing the case. All right. Well, I'm definitely very interested in this case, so I, I hope you'll come back on as it progresses. Anytime. It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting and unexpected question. I don't think it's a hard question, but it's one we're very happy to have the court curious about. Oh, that's great to know. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 
pro-life activist Mark Houck, who joined us here last week, had been peacefully protesting and sidewalk counseling outside abortion businesses for 20 years when two dozen heavily armed FBI agents swarmed his rural Pennsylvania home last September and arrested him in front of his wife and seven children. Houck was charged with violating the federal Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act for an altercation with a Planned Parenthood escort almost a year earlier. He faced up to 11 years in federal prison, but after being acquitted of the charges on January 30th, Houck returned to his post outside the Elizabeth Blackwell Health Center in Philadelphia on Wednesday. Priest for Life's Father Dennis Wild was among the national and local pro-life leaders who showed up to support Houck. Father Dennis said a young woman who went to the killing center that day had a change of heart and left before her abortion. Here's a video Father Dennis taped of Houck addressing the crowd with his wife, Ryan Marie, by his side. Mr. Houck, you're free to go. That was the greatest words I could hear. But um, he looked at me and he said, and I looked at him right as we were getting ready to leave. I said, thank you, Judge. And he says, no, thank you, Mr. Howe. And I just want to say that although she won't want to speak, she may, she may, if she does inspire you, as she does to me every day. But the federal government came in with a plea on January 6th of all days at 5 p.m. on Friday. And the plea was this, not guilt, uh, plead guilty, second count, face act, zero to six months, no probation. It was a slap on the wrist. I knew I was gonna say no to that, but I had to go talk to her. And she encouraged me and she said, you would not be allowed home if you took that plea. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Marie, thank you. Thank you. Love you all. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming out today. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priests for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. I hope you will tune in every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Teresa will be back next week. We hope you will support this show and all of our broadcasts by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating the pro-life community to end abortion. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.